This week we are watching another episode of The Mandalorian, this time with episode three, which is called The Sin. I was surprised of how much just like it almost felt like a theatrical release or like a like a season finale on this one, and it's only the third episode in. It's a pretty masterfully directed episode. He goes on a journey in such a short amount of time in this episode to go from like anti-hero to like hero. Hello there, and welcome to episode 27 of Live from Vader's Castle. As always, I'm your host, Dan McQuarrie, and I'm joined by with my co-host, John Lee. Hello, John. Hello there, Dan. How's it going today? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I've, uh, I've got my new Vader's cereal t-shirt on, especially just for this podcast. <laughs> We're ripping the t-shirt just for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you guys are following us on Instagram, I'll put a, put a little picture of it on our story a couple of days ago. So, uh <laughs> If you've seen it, then you know what it is. And if you haven't, then I suggest you Google it. <laughs> it's just the, the Funko Pop Vader t-shirt and it's very nice. Amazing. Amazing. I uh, I ordered some Star Wars clothes today, actually, whilst we're on that theme. I uh, I was planning my my uh, my look for Comic-Con. Uh, me, John, another one of our friends, going to the London Comic-Con at the end of the month. And uh, I decided that I needed to have myself appropriately dressed in Star Wars garments. So I ordered two sweatshirts and two t-shirts and a hat. So I'm going to be fully garmed up in Star Wars apparel, which is, uh, which is you know, it's good. You'd love to see it. Nice, yeah. I mean, you've got, you got to dress appropriately at Comic-Con, so uh, respect. I just want people to know that I'm a Star Wars fan, you know? Life in Vader's Castle on tour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the... Uh, that's the, the the problem that all podcasters have is that no one's going to come up to us at Comic-Con and say, oh, I'm a big fan of Life in Vader's Castle. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they might walk past us and they'll get home and be like, oh, I'm sure I bumped into those Vader's Castle guys. I recognise like. those voices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I missed them. Oh, what a shame. Anyway, um, so this week we are watching another episode of The Mandalorian. Um, continuing our rewatch of the very first season of The Mandalorian. We're up to episode three. Um, past two episodes have been really good fun. Seems seems like people have enjoyed them. So we're going to continue on this time with episode three, which is called The Sin. It was, uh, written as always, written by Jon Favreau, directed by Deborah Chow, who is going on to make the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which is exciting. And it was released originally in America on the 22nd of November, 2019. And then we had it over here at some point in March of 2020. So this is a while ago. This one came out. I've rewatched, I think I've seen this episode probably like three or four times now. Um, I am a big fan of this episode. Um, It's one of my standouts from the first series. So I was excited to rewatch it again yesterday and to take my notes and to have this discussion here today. Um, I'll pass it over to you, John. What your your overall big thoughts on uh, on this episode, on rewatching this episode? Um, well, as always, for the last two episodes, just like you said, they've been a they've been a fun rewatch, and uh, just like the other two, I really enjoyed watching this one. Uh, I must say, for this one though, I was just I was surprised of how much just like it almost felt like a like a theatrical release or like a 
like a season finale on this one, and it's only the third episode in. It was like I couldn't I couldn't believe how um, like spectacular this episode was for the third episode. I remember just before I put it on, I was thinking, like, "Oh, did this happen in this episode?" And I was like, "No, surely that must have been in the in the finale. Uh, surely it was in the final episode. You know, the the big the big bang before." the end of the season but no it did actually happen in this episode and i was like wow can't believe they actually did that um in season three and it's like watching it again is just as spectacular as it was watching it for the first time yeah yeah it is a really yeah really theatrical looking episode there's a lot of big big action scenes and definitely obviously the the big moment at the end which sort of grabbed everyone's attention was all the Mandalorians shooting up in the air and their jetpack and getting involved in the fight. And I think that's something that I certainly wasn't expecting to see when I was watching this episode the first time around. And I think it um it's definitely a highlight of this this first season, definitely. Yeah, I mean that that final bit that was a, that was a bit I was thinking. I was like um just before I started watching it, I was like, oh did the all the Mandos like come out at the end? Um and I was like, no, that must have been in like the final episode. I was trying to remember and I was like and then when it came about, I was like, oh, fuck, no way. They actually like went with the big the big Mando reveal at the end. Well, like the big, not reveal, but like battle, I suppose you'd call it, like showdown uh, at the end. I thought that was a big a, a big moment for the third episode of a season. It's like you don't often see this. Like third episode in on, on most TV shows and stuff, you're still, you're still ramping up. And this one, we were just... Uh, we we went they went straight in for it off the bat, which I I respect them for, and it's obviously worked out really well for them. Yeah, and I do think this was a pretty huge episode in terms of like character as well. Like this was the the big moment for the the main character in the show to you know make a change of heart, change the person who he was, and goes back and forth of whether he's actually going to make that change, and then obviously he does, and he decides that you know he needs to rescue this child instead of abandoning it to be you know, tested on and killed. Um, and then it goes on to set up the rest of the story of the further season and the, the following season after that of him and the child sort of roaming the galaxy together whilst being chased by bounty hunters in the Empire. So this is a really significant and important episode in The Mandalorian. And um, there were so many moments that I noticed more sort of on rewatching it of where those moments sort of lead in further episodes and how um, I guess just, yeah, how significant and important this episode really was. And I do think it's a pretty masterfully directed episode in the sense of like the action is like a lot of the action is unlike anything we've ever seen before in Star Wars. I think it's like a lot sort of more gritty and realistic action um, than you typically see in Star Wars, but it doesn't feel out of place either. It's like that good balance of feeling a bit different but also feeling correct um and i think that's um credit all credit to deborah chow as the director and really have a lot of confidence in her as the director of the obi-wan kenobi show because this episode is is a pretty phenomenally directed piece of action and um she also nails all the character moments and the the really intricate emotions as well so i mean we all know we're excited for Obi-Wan Kenobi, but watching this episode yesterday just reminded me that it's definitely in good hands with this director. Yeah, no, Deborah Charles actually, she did, I completely agree with everything you said there. She's done a, done a fantastic job on this, uh, this third episode. Um, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. The character moments in this, um, 
I think, are paced really well. And like watch on a rewatch, you can really see this is the episode where obviously Mando starts to to, to care more about little Grogu, um, little baby Yoda. Um, obviously because of his actions in the in the episode itself. But then obviously it's a little the little side points you get, you know, like the um you really have to not pay attention, like you have to be fixed on the screen, but it's easy to miss at the points of him like with the little I don't know, like the little ball thing that screwed onto his control. I think that was a really cool moment. Obviously then seeing that later on in the uh in the seasons, that little toy he makes seems to be very important to him and it's it was really it seemed to be that that was the turning point in Mando's like oh no I need to go back yeah I think it was you could have blinked and missed it really um but I think it was really important you obviously sort of on reflection when you see the the Ahsoka episode later on where Grogu uses that ball uses the force on that ball and like you sort of think back and like that is obviously quite a significant little thing to their relationship but seeing this episode again of like where it all started and like that moment when Ben puts his hand on the the control stick and realizes the ball's not there, being that trigger for him to think, "Nah, this little kid is like too innocent, and too cute for me to like abandon him," and that's like the moment where he like switches. <clears throat> so I do think it's like such subtle, like such a subtle little like um, moment, and it represents quite a lot. Just that weird little sort of metal ball, um, but I do think it's one of those like finer things that becomes such a like a a big idea throughout the series and I do think this episode does handles that sort of stuff really well of like little moments that like go on to mean a lot further down the line and I think yeah as we as we've both been saying I think this episode definitely captures all of that stuff fantastically well yeah I mean it's just it was cool in the episode as well I mean it's been a while since I've seen it so it was nice to reflect back and see like throughout the episode you could see Mando slowly being more and more interested about like what was happening with Grogu like um obviously like straight away when he gets taken off you kind of he's like he asks uh the, the client he's like well, what are you doing with it and like you can either you could point out a time he's like wondering just because like he doesn't trust the empire and he's just curious about what they're doing he doesn't like the empire he's just curious about what they're they're up to you know so then the client kind of just shuts him down and he just takes his, his payment and leaves and then obviously he asks again um to uh the guy dish out the bounties um oh god what's his name uh grief cargo uh, he asked him about the the, the uh trial again and again grief cargo is like well you know that's breaking the code the the guild rules if you're if we ask so you know it's not really part of our business um and then obviously he gets in the ship and then decides to turn around and go back for Grogu and it's just nice those little points over the, the episode it was nice reflecting back like because I remember watching it at the time I was probably just like oh I didn't really think much of it at the time but going back and reflecting on it it's those little points that seem really ob- obvious now and I seem it seems kind of obvious saying it but at the time of watching it I'm pretty sure I was just like oh I didn't really think much of it I thought it was just like curious or something um, as obviously Mando's mm-hmm. a character we haven't really seen much of like yeah. you're not sure how he uh, how he thought we actually saw things. No, it was nice nice to, to notice that on the rewatch as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think <clears throat> these first three episodes definitely teach you so much that you need to know about the character, but also takes him on a journey like really quickly in the sense of like you meet him and he's like a tough guy, but you can you can tell that there's something a little bit different about him in the sense of like he's not 
strictly speaking, the, the the awful, ruthless bounty hunter that we see a lot in Star Wars, with this sort of relationship with the Mandalorians and like some of the best guard goes to the foundlings and that sort of thing. And then obviously with like the Jawas episode, like we see that side of him, which is aggressive when he's just disintegrating Jawas. But then we also see that part of him where he's like willing to, willing to help out. Um, And then obviously in this episode, we see the side of him, which is like, he wants money, he wants payment, he wants his reputation to be upheld. But then ultimately what matters to him more is like doing what's right because of this connection that he's formed with the child in such a small amount of time so i think when you like when you look at these like first three episodes as sort of like one sort of little package there's so much like character work for the mandalorian that's been done in these episodes of just like creating a character who's actually like quite complex but ultimately like good and i think that's sort of one of the this was definitely the episode that like made me realize all right this is why he's the the main character because like the first two episodes you're like right okay he's a bounty hunter he's a bit of an anti-hero but like this is the episode where he goes from being an anti-hero to a hero and you're like yeah you save that kid (laughs) he's cute (laughs) don't let anything bad happen to him um and this is where he goes from you know being a bounty hunter to a space dad um so yeah it's brilliant yeah i mean i almost feel like these first three episodes you could put into like you could do like a mini film I mean, how long would they be? Like an hour and a half, wouldn't it? So it'd be a very short, yeah. like, mm-hmm. intro film. Like, obviously the same as they did for um, Clone Wars, but significantly better. Um, just, you know, the, the as you said, like, the amount of character development and stuff we get over the these first three episodes in this, such a short amount of time, as you say, like, he goes on a journey in such a short amount of time in this episode to go from, like, anti-hero to, like, hero. Um, I think, yeah, they could, they could put it in, like, a little film. I think that would be quite interesting to be like this is how we got to where we are and then like episode four could just be like the story afterwards or sort of thing you know like the support in a supporting series yeah yeah no definitely it's really like yeah really you can tell on these like first three episodes that had like the clearest of clear visions of like what the show was going to be and it was very much like these first three episodes delivered on that vision and then sort of the writing process was like, right, where do we take the show next? Um, and that's not criticism on any of the other episodes. There's some episodes to follow that I love, some that I just like, not love. But I do think these first three episodes are, are really sort of well-rounded and like, as you said, could easily be a film in themselves, just like a really well-rounded and really direct and like intentional story from like A to Z. Um, and then obviously the rest of the series just ends up being <laughs> more of a treat on top of that. Um, so we've sort of given quite a lot of our overall thoughts as per usual with these episodes. So I want to dive into some of our favorite moments um, from the episode in terms of like action, comedy, um, anything like that. So oh, I can pass it over to you, John. Are there any, were there any moments in this episode that particularly stood out for you that, got you excited or got you feeling emotional what were what were some of your favorite moments uh to be honest one of the parts that like stuck out for me in this episode is probably like most people just like just like a bit of a passing moment but it was it was when mando just got back from uh getting his payment uh and went down into the the the, the little like mandalorian secret base area uh under the city in the little tunnels and he's like getting his new armor 
I just like that conversation, I think, between him and the armorer just like really stuck with me. Just like the like it almost seemed to start, it was almost like a, I don't know, like a form of like conversation you have like in a church. I don't know how I'm trying to say it, but it was almost like biblical or something or like religious, like the way they were talking to each other about like the, the best car and like the armor and um, Mando getting his like, what does she call it? Like a signet? Yeah, the signet. Yeah. signet, yeah. And like that conversation when he was like, he was brutally honest and was and said to her like um it wasn't like a noble kill because an mm-hmm. enemy helped me with it i thought that was that was really interesting and it's just it was really interesting just to see that those that's like the first hints of the whole cult kind of kind of nature that mando's in with mm-hmm. the mandalorian like religion yeah because obviously we've seen mandalorians before in like the clone wars and stuff and they're not obviously as serious and well, like cult-like as Mando is with the um, what Death Watch um, group that he's he's in. So I just found that like really interesting and like really tense. And obviously, then he had a little scrap with um, uh, is it, he has a scrap with like Paz, doesn't he? At the time, Paz Vizsla. Yeah, Paz Vizsla. Yeah. Yeah, they have a little little fight, <laughs> and I think to be fair, I think Paz would have won if uh, if the armor it's didn't step in because he had the knife to his throat. <laughs> yeah, he had the knife to Mando's throat, and Mando's cheeky vibro like, blade. Yeah. Standing in like it was just hanging midair. I was like, "Well, if this actually went any further, like Mando, I think you're losing this one." <laughs> yeah, so no, I, I agree. Whole scene was really, really good. Yeah. yeah, it was tense. It was, it just had like a such a like religious vibes to the conversations and stuff. I thought it was just fascinating. Yeah, I agree. And I thought it was a, a really, really great scene. I think, as you said, it's potentially one that can get overlooked because of like some of the great action scenes in it. But I just think that, as you were saying, like the amount that we learn about these Mandalorians, I guess your relationship with Star Wars very much affects your opinion here because if if you've never seen the animated shows and you're just coming into the Mandalorian after having watched the films, this is you learning about the like the Mandalorians for the very first time. Whereas I guess if you're someone who's watched the Clone Wars, this is you learning about a very specific creed or cult or type of group of Mandalorians. Um and I think that's an interesting dynamic which doesn't really get answered until season two when sort of Bo-Katan points out that always oh, part of the watch you know these are religious zealots who keep their helmets on and that sort of thing and not all Mandalorians do that um so I do think you're learning so much about like Mandalore culture like as you said like this sort of religious sense of you know them always saying like this is the way like no one's seen our face everything like that um and what the Beskar means to them and how like ceremonious like crafting the armor was um, obviously being tied in with these like Clone Wars flashbacks of Din Djarin as a kid. Like we see the super battle droids here for the first time because like the first time we see the flashback, we don't see the droids. We just see the, the fighting and the running. So this time it confirms super battle droids. Um, and then obviously him, the, the, the droids opening up, like breaking through his hiding spot and then leaving that cliffhanger of like, right, where does this flashback sort of end? We get those answers later on. Um, so yeah, completely agree with you. I think it's a really, really important scene for like world building and um, character at the same time. And I just think the whole aesthetic of like the armor's forge is such a cool design. And I think it's, um, 
the whole idea of like the Mandalorians hidden out underground with this like secret forge and there's like loads of them down there. I think it's such a unique and cool idea and it raises so many questions that a lot of them haven't even been answered yet, which is exciting because it's just still stuff for us to find out about like what actually happened with the Great Purge and why the Mandalorians are so secret and everything. So yeah, agree with you there. Yeah, nice. I mean, I didn't I didn't even get yeah, you mentioned it there, like the flashbacks I think were fantastic and ceremonial was the word i was looking for um to describe the the scene just in general because yeah i mean it was just so tense and brilliant and the flashbacks i filled in gave us a little tease a bit more information about din Djarin's like childhood and i suppose life before becoming a founding in man in the mandalorians um so yeah i mean we saw just enough to to give you an idea about you know the how awful his childhood is and you know how it i suppose formed the man he is today um and I, he's he, i suppose it does explain in episode one he's like how he hates having droids he doesn't want to be near droids and you can kind of put two and two together at that point um yeah i mean it was just a it really it was really significant bit in the show i think that a lot of people can overlook as, as i said yeah um i mean another moment for me um sort of i guess another sort of slightly smaller scene in relation to like the big action scene to the end was sort of the scene right at the beginning where mando goes to the client and gives him grogu or baby yoda keep on forgetting we refer to them with their hindsight names but obviously at this point we didn't even know his name was dinjara neither so um this is obviously a rewatch, hence why we're using all the, <laughs> the names we now know. But when Mando takes the child to the client, I just thought that scene, much like that's the first scene in, in um, episode one, when he originally meets a client, there's like so much tension between him, like the stormtroopers, the client. Obviously, as you had mentioned earlier on, like he's asking all these extra questions of like, what are you going to do with it? And, you know, it's none of your business, basically. There's the sort of, the completely ridiculously impressive way that they get so much emotion off of his face when you can't see his face. Like you can just tell the way that like he's looking through the mask at like the the child getting sort of taken off that he feels guilty for what's happening, but he doesn't know if he should feel guilty. And then the best cars in front of him, the whole Camtona filled with best car. And there's that side of him, which is like, Oh, you know, the, the metal should be back with the Mandalorians. This is good payment. But then there's also that like split of spirit of like, oh, I, d- I don't know if, if what I'm doing is right. And just all the tension in that scene. And like, I mean, you mentioned it in, in episode one, but like the the, uh, the way the client is like played by the actor is just so like menacing and such an interesting and like unique character. And I just think that that first scene again, sort of like really well mirrors the episode one scene of him getting the job and then him here delivering the job of like that equal amount of like tension. But in the way that the first one was sort of like him questioning what the job was really about and whether it sounded like a good deal to this one, him questioning whether he should have just given up the child. It's like a really interesting mirror. Um, And yeah, just a scene that for me just like stuck out really, really good scene. No, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, yeah, it follows on from my point that I made about episode one of like just yeah, the, how intimidating and menacing the client is, but basically doing like nothing. He's just like sitting there with some best guy in front of him. And he's he's like the most 
intimidating person in the room, really, just the way he talks and his presence, I think is oh, so impressive. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it is very well impressive how much character like, stuff we get from uh, Mando while wearing a helmet. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's like a term for it in film and I'm sure you'll probably know. Um, but it's like when an actor doesn't actually do anything with their face, but you like project your feelings onto it. I'm sure there's like a term for it and I'm sure it's like an actual thing. So I'm pretty sure that Disney and like John Favreau and that have just taken that concept and just like run with it with like Mando and his helmet. Cause I feel like even though obviously Pedro Pascal is like doing a lot of like body language acting in, in this role. I mean, I'll give them all credit where credit's due, but I feel like they're definitely taking use of this like concept and being like, we are going to make such an interesting, you know, like gripping story with like all the other characters that like what you'd expect to get off an actor you're projecting already onto Mandalorian. Does that make, does that make sense of what I'm saying? I think they've just yeah. got such a good story that you are, you're capable of projecting that onto like a helmet, a helmet, a helmeted person. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I think that is 100% what's going on there in the sense of like the a lot of the framing and I, I sort of, it's another sort of scene that I noted down is like the scene when Mando sat in his ship and, uh, you know, we just talked about it with the ball and when he picks it up and then there's just a really sort of slow, like close-up shot on like, just his helmet and we can't see what his face is doing, but you just know whether that's because of body language or because of like what we're projecting, that in that moment, his face is saying, shit, I need to go back and get this kid. I feel terrible. I'm the worst person alive. Um, and I think, yes, yeah, you know, the way that they frame it, the way that they shoot it, the way that that, and the music obviously is a massive factor as well in bringing out that emotion, but there's just so much intelligent filmmaking in that, as you said, getting the audience to fully, understand the emotion of a scene when you don't have a face on a main character and i just think it's yeah it's so masterful and so clever yeah i mean i really take my hat off to uh john favreau and uh dave flood you know anyone else like the cinematography cinematography and everyone else that works in the music is is another thing that just adds to it and but like, i find that sometimes with with music i know you tend to like notice a lot of the music but i i find it just like and it's never like front of my mind, but it obviously impacts me so much when I'm watching scenes and stuff. But I mean, that, but there was one point in this. I think it was, I think it was just as the as Mando was going in to collect his payment from the client, and the music there. I don't know why, but that, it really like stuck out, stood out to me, and it just it just really reminded me of like um, the Winter Soldier's theme from like Captain America. Where it was just like it was just like setting the tone so well of just like how tense that next scene's going to be. I don't know how to describe it, but that, that music really stuck out, stuck out, stuck out to me. I'm sure it was then it was either then or when, no, it was definitely then. Yeah. yeah. Then it set up the, the next scene like so well. And I was just like thinking, just hearing the music, I was like, Oh shit. Like mm-hmm. this is going to be tense. I think it's something that mate, like, for me, I think make, is the make or break of like whether something Star Wars is gonna like work or not. And the vast majority of like Star Wars stuff that's come out has worked for me because the music has always been a consistently great aspect. Like even the shows which haven't had a Williams score, you know, Clone Wars Rebels, Bad Batch, 
you know, the spin-off films that haven't had Williams scores. And then obviously this, again, hasn't had a Williams score. But I just think if they get the right talented composers, like music just is the make or break for Star Wars because it's so much of like the atmosphere. It's so much of like the fantasy, but like the grounding, the the fantasy. And I think there's, it was was a Taika Waititi quote that he made in like the Mandalorian gallery when he was talking about this like season. It's like, Star Wars doesn't necessarily take itself too seriously, but it believes in itself a hundred percent. And I think that like the music is such a major part of that in the sense of like the script doesn't need to be taking itself a hundred percent seriously, but the, the music is part of what makes people believe in the world and like believe in Star Wars. And it's part of what makes like Star Wars believe in itself of like that music, just like for me, just ties it all together. So yeah, I completely agree with you. Like there was so much good tension setting and like him sort of like coming back to the the client's base of operations before the big action scene and like the music's just like perfectly like paced the whole way through. And I just, I know we're going to say this every single episode of this Mando rewatch, but Ludwig Goranson's such a good composer. And I think he's like perfect, perfectly been matched to this series. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to do for Book of Boba Fett, which is the rumour is that's what he's going to be composing next. So Yeah completely agree with you there on the music yeah i mean i'm gonna make a quick point because we've been talking about the scenes that it's relating to and i think it's just it made me laugh and i, I might actually be wrong about it but it's just a funny anyway um it's just when mando gets his bounty um and the client types in a code it's not like, it's like an order he flicks the switches to open it up and then when amanda takes it back to the armor i am 85 percent sure that mando got the code wrong but the thing still opens, <laughs> which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down as a goof. But I'm like, because I know I was, I remember watching the client do it and I was like, oh, I'll watch out later to see if he does it. And I'm pretty sure in the scene they filmed, Pedro Pascal like types in the first, does the two first two codes and then like pauses for a second as he's trying to remember what it is. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure he gets it wrong. But I might be, oh, I, might be I don't know. I'm, myself. Yeah. I might have to go back after and rewatch it again. But I'm 90 percent sure he gets it wrong. Wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. I feel like that would just be like such a classic Star Wars goof that they just have to keep in because it's hilarious. <laughs> I need, to, I need, to, yeah, I need to have a look at that. You could have spotted something that no one has ever spotted before, there, John. <laughs> yeah, or I could just be like completely. I could just have got it wrong myself and just not remembered it right. <laughs> Either way, it's there's, funny. There's potential there. There is definitely <laughs> there's a good story about that. The uh, the Camtona that I'm gonna I'm gonna tell later on in the Easter egg section, um, so don't let me forget that. Um, I think the for me the other two favorite moments I imagine they're probably amongst yours as well with sort of the two big the two big action scenes um, of the first one being when Mando breaks in to the client's base to rescue the child. I mean, I could go on about this action scene all day, so I'm going to fling it straight over to you. What did you What did you think of this this first sort of big action scene of this episode? Uh, I mean, I think it just goes to show how terrible stormtroopers are at their job. Because um, I, I, I mean, one of them hit like, though. One of them hit a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> he probably was like, "Yes, finally!" And then just—I <laughs> mean, it, re- it reflected off it. the best guy, but he still landed the shot. One of them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this scene I think sets up beautifully just like how skillful Mando is, I suppose, and how much of a threat he's going to be going forward, especially now with the best car armor. I mean, as you just said, like 
a stormtrooper hit a shot, which is a, a rare occasion in Star Wars. And he was cheated off a kill from the Beskar armor. Um, so that's, that's pretty, pretty tragic for him. Um, but I, th- I mean, we see a bit of action from the Mando in episodes, uh, obviously one and two. And obviously in episode one, in the end, we see loads of action. In episode two, he fights the Mudhorn. Uh, but I think this scene, the thing this scene really did for me was like show just how like, I don't know, like tactical and like aware of his surroundings he is with, with things. It, it really re- reminded me of um, an episode later on when he's like in prison, when he's in the prison and it's like, he's almost, it's not like full on. He just goes in and like runs into a room and speaks a shit out of everyone. He just like kind of just, like, I don't know, it's almost like he's like Batman. He's kind of like just appears and like takes someone out. And that's that sort of vibe where it was just like he's just really <laughs> yeah. intimidating without actually being like a like dominating presence in the room. If that makes yeah, sense. I got I got the Batman vibe a little bit as well. It's that like just appearing and disappearing and like hadn't like purposefully walking around corners at the right time and stuff like that. I know completely what you mean. Yeah, I mean it's just. It was just because we've seen him in obviously episode one. He was just like we've seen him as just like a like unreal gunslinger, um, just like shooting the shit out of everything and like being quick on the draw and stuff. So that's obviously cool, and you know that's what we want to see from like a bounty Mandalorian bounty hunter because that's really cool. But I just think this this scene just shows the scene this episode. Sorry, just shows like how just like intimidating he is without like appearing intimidating, just like being stealthy and tactical and just like clever about his about him he's like he's got he's got a full bag you know he's not just like brute strength or quick on the draw he's he's got all the skills he needs and he's got a flame for out of a burning stormtroopers alive so. <laughs> yeah that was fun quality in that one <laughs> r.i.p and baroon <laughs> as well don't forget bro <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course of course yeah no i i love the action in this i think it's when i mentioned earlier like the action feeling like really sort of like different and gritty and like realistic, but also like Star Warsy at the same time. I think this scene in particular like felt that way for me because it was like sort of felt like those sort of like spy action scenes where it's like someone breaking into a top secret base and like stealthily taking people out. So there's like that element to it. But then there were like stormtroopers and they had and he had blasters and he had a flamethrower and he had like a, a grappling hook and then obviously there was a scene at the end where he gets surrounded and he uses the the what they call is it the whistling the whistling sometimes the birds whistling birds that's it yeah yeah when he uses them to like take out the stormtroopers like it it felt it felt like something i'd seen a hundred times before in like grounded on earth like action scenes but it was like the star wars version of it which was obviously like fantastical with like ridiculous tech but it all just like because it's star wars it just works and i just think it was such like masterfully like directed and like shot sit like the cinematography was like so good like the, the darkness and the light and everything about the scene i just thought was really really impressive and um i just i remember like watching it the first time around and like just getting so hyped, I was like, "Yes, he's fucking going and getting the kid back. Let's go!" Like, and like still on the rewatch, I'm just like, "Yes." It's like, yeah. You'd... And then the obviously the bit with the probe droid and Doctor Pershing, and like he's just in and out. He doesn't even like care to talk to him. He's just like, he's like, "What's he done?" The kid, blah blah blah. And then he's gone. Um, yeah, such an awesome scene, and 
just like I think I think like you think oh damn that's a good action scene and then like just kick straight into another one straight after this and you're just like geez we're getting gifted to this episode yeah I mean I think it's just sets up Mando to be the Star Wars version of like Batman slash James Bond uh, it's just a perfect combination of the two. <laughs> yeah, he is. You see, yeah, that's a it's a good combo actually. He's got those sort of like some of those Batman Bondy vibes, and then he's just got like some cowboy vibes as well in there as well. <laughs> yeah, he's got a, he's got a full full locker. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I imagine the uh, the final big scrap was probably another one of your favourite moments, was it? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, it just goes without saying, isn't it? Like a, a big, a big shootout at the end, including you know droids, Mandalorians, bounty hunters. I mean, what, what more can you want? I think this this scene has. I don't know how to describe it, but the coolest um, sideways flip into a speeder bike I've ever seen in my life. Like, is is the moment when he's like surrounded and Grief Cargo's doing his bit when he's just like. Um, and he's like, Mando, like, give back the kid. And he's like, because I'm your only hope and all that. You know, he's doing all that really cool stuff. And then Mando's standing there. He's, like, making his decision of what he's going to do. And then he just, like, the way he, like, pulls out his blaster with, like, so much aggression, shoots, and then, like, jumps and flips into the speeder bike. It's just the most badass thing <laughs> in, I mean, it's probably up there in, like, top five, like, badass single little actions in a, in a Star Wars thing. It's just so cool. <laughs> I just want to learn how to do that just so I can impress people. Just like the aggressive, like pull the blaster out, bang, flip into the speeder bike, like sideways rolling through the air. Jeez. I hope you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I do. And it was, it was pretty slick to do fair. Just again, shows off how badass Mando is. And I like, guess a definite move I could see from James Bond. Yeah, and obviously um, him hiding in the bike with his his um, pulse rifle like stuck out, just sniping everyone. Oh, it's just the tactics on like you know, you've got to be in a position where you're not going to get shot. And the way he uses like the it's like it's like Obi Wan using the high ground, but him using the speeder bike. It's like it was just game <laughs> over for all of them. He just couldn't handle him. Yeah, that little shot when he was um when he like. Is peeking out with his uh, pulse rifle. It just really reminded me of like, I'm sure it's like a shot in Saving Private Ryan when like a, a, one of the enemy snipers is, is like shot the exact same way. But like it just it's like it just goes down the barrel of their gun as it like peeks out. I'm sure there's a shot in it's like Saving Private Ryan or like another war film. And it's like it was just you had so much action like straight away and it kind of just slowed it down for a second, just start build the tension back up again. I mm. thought oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. Oh, so much tension in that scene. Like the obviously when all the shooting's happening, but like the the moments when there's like dead silence and like you see the bounty hunters like moving around, but you don't know like where they're going and who's going to shoot next. It's just such a a good like build up attention. Then obviously it all sort of reaches like it's sort of climactic finale when all the mandos just fly in with their jetpacks and then big Paz Vizsla's got his minigun like railing them and then oh, unreal <laughs> yeah I mean I'm still just shocked they did that that third episode in as I said right at the beginning like that's something you you wouldn't feel disappointed seeing in a season finale so the fact that it was like the <laughs> third episode you're like Jesus unreal yeah when you reflect back on it you can understand why this show like just took the world by storm in those in that first like month that it was out because like 
these first three episodes just like yeah crazy crazy good star wars content yeah i mean i see it's so easy to see how it was such a hit straight away um and if these are the first three episodes uh just set as you said earlier i mean just set the tone for exactly what we expected for like the rest of the season you know it's it's given us some of the best moments of the entire show like straight away so hats off to john favreau and dave filoni exactly i agree um should we should we jump on to our characters um yeah. as always we've got standout character of the episode favorite background character and then we'll finish up with easter eggs so first of all standout character of the episode who's your who's your standout character of this episode uh well, same as I think some of the characters in here were uh, we've seen in like the last like two other two episodes. I think my character, standout character, is uh, Doctor Pershing. So I just think in this episode, like he, the the bit we saw of him was pretty pathetic, to be honest. Of his character, it was just like him cowering on the floor as um <laughs> as Mando pointed a gun at him. But it was I just really like the fact that he was like so desperate to save like Baby Yoda at the start. Because as soon as Mando walks in the door, he's like, no, don't kill it, please. Like, I think it's just, it was really interesting because he's obviously there to do a job for uh, obviously the client, the Empire, which is just, um, you know, get get something out of Baby Yoda that we aren't quite sure at the time what it is. But it just seems like he could be, it's like, seems like really conflicted about how he wants to do it because obviously he wants to, He's very interested in like the science and all that sort of stuff. And he's very motivated by that. But then at the same time, he's so desperate to like preserve the life of baby Yoda. That is, it's interesting to see like the, the dilemma there in him. And like, even when he's, you know, got a gun pointed at him and he's could almost like be dead. He's still like begging to have baby Yoda's life like spared. And just, um, I thought that was a really interesting thing from like someone in the empire. Cause it's not something you see every day from a empire employee. Like usually they're just a bit only for themselves, like savages. Yeah. You get the impression that he's a good guy. He's just got a bad job, a bad corporate, <laughs> bad corporate job. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, thought that, I thought that was interesting to be fair. Uh, and I, I just think it really, it gave us a bit of, uh, like questioning about his character that I think made 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 him a bit more interesting. I think this is the episode where it like sparked my interest on him. So that's why I've given him I've given mm. him top rank in this episode. Yeah, I hope we see Doctor Pershing again. I do think he's an interesting character. I'd um I mean I'm trying to gauge his age in this series. He's probably not much older than like thirty, is he? Um, he doesn't seem particularly old. Mm. Um. I'm trying to like imagine if we can get him in Bad Batch because you know with the scene at the end of Bad Batch with the mountain base and the other Kaminoan cloner, but I think he'd probably be like a wee five year old at this point, so probably not. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. He's a, he's a cool character. I think for my standout characters, I think I'm trying to pick a character who is in the Mandalorian because he's literally the title character, and obviously he shoots up you know a lot of stormtroopers and he's very badass. So. I did go for someone who wasn't Mando. Um and I went for I went for Grief Karga. Um and the reason Ooh. I went for Grief Karga is he wasn't very likable in this episode at all. And and that was not the reason that I went for him. Um I just felt he made he just fitted the 
the character who like you don't really know if they're good or bad, but you know that they're they only sell serve their own self interest. Um, sort of a bit like Han Solo when you very first meet him, and obviously it doesn't take you long to realize that he's a good guy. He just pretends not to be a good guy. Um, but like grief has obviously got that moment when like Mando first comes into the bar and he's like, "Oh, Mando, my favorite bounty hunter. They all hate you because you're." got the biggest score and he's like he's so cocky he's sort of winding everyone up he's just like licking mando's ass because like he's secured him like quite a bit of money and he's just such like a charismatic guy and then he's saying oh take some time off like go to the twi'lek healing baths like smoke a load of spice so he's <laughs> he's like just properly like being this like bad influence and then the moment that mando like breaks the code he suddenly turns into this straight up like yeah i'm gonna get all the boys to kill you and then that that scene like the confrontation in the sort of i guess you call it like the market square or whatever when he obviously has like the classic star wars line of like well it's a remix of the classic star wars line it's like when mando says why should i trust you and he's like because i'm your only hope and he's almost trying to play him and like yeah you should trust me but really what's gonna happen is that you know he's mando's gonna get killed and and then obviously what we know about grief cargo further down the line when he sort of you know joins the team as it will and sort of plays on mando's side and but he only does it because he thinks it's in his interest. And I just think he's one of these like multi-layered characters who's, you never really know what side he's on, but he's always just really charismatic and likable, even though you think he's a bit of a prick. <laughs> and then obviously he has the moment at the end where he gets shot, but the best guy in his pocket saves his life, which is, you know, if you've watched the behind the scenes, you know that he was actually meant to die there, but they just thought Carl Weathers was so good as grief cargo that they just changed their mind and didn't want to kill him off and wanted to bring him back for episode seven and eight. So they, um, you know, added that whole best car element to the scene. So I just think, yeah, if, if he was such a good character that the writers decided not to kill him off because they liked him so much, I think he's worthy of being a, being a standout character. No. Yeah. I mean, it's a good choice. He's, He's like one of the characters in this uh, in this episode that like whenever he's on screen just captures the uh, your attention and like he kind of just like holds the room. So he's, he, I mean, Carl Weathers is a great actor and he, he plays Grief Cargo so well. Um, I, can, I completely agree with everything you said, and you know I completely agree. If the writers want to keep him on by shooting a little extra scene of him surviving with some best guy in his pocket, then I, I have every every faith that he's an excellent choice for a standout character. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows the story of, uh, you know, Jesse from Breaking Bad was meant to die in the first season. And then he ended up becoming the, you know, basically the second main character in that show because he was just so good. And, you know, this is, could be another story. Maybe Griff Carga is going to be a huge presence in Mando season three, maybe in Book of Boba Fett, who knows, but the longer that we see Carl Weathers and Star Wars, the better. I think he's a, great character and i've even got his little uh vintage figure just next to me uh on my little display cabinet still in his box looking proud <laughs> yeah class so do you want to go on to uh background characters yeah sure I'll, so we can uh, so we can add more background characters to our uh background character hall of fame <laughs> <laughs> you go first <laughs> Um, I think my background character isn't quite as um, I don't know, like niche as the other ones, the other two that I've had. I think the other two have been ridiculously niche. Um, so I've got, this one this week is uh, Paz Vizsla, who 
is I don't think his name is ever really mentioned in this episode. I don't think, but he's like the big tank mm-hmm. of, uh, of of the Mandalorian uh, of the Mandalorian cult in the underground. Um, he's the one that has a little scrap of Mando, and he's the one with the jetpack and the uh, minigun at the end. So big think, heavy vibes. <laughs> big, yeah, big heavy vibes. Um, I think one of the main reasons is a standout character is because he's just got a minigun, which is always just class, um, and he just tanks. <laughs> Um, but I really like I really like his interaction. Guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really liked his interaction with uh, Mando during the scene I was talking about earlier with um, when Mando's getting his best car like molded and stuff. I really liked that little interaction and just the disgust in Paz in Paz Vizsla about Mando like working with the Empire, um, which I think is really interesting, and I think it raises more questions about like the great purge um for the viewers and i think it it makes the it makes a great purge seem much more of like a i don't know like a realistic like massacre as opposed to just like a like a thing in the past that people still just like are clinging on to um so i think that that that's interesting and it, he he brought up an interesting moral dilemma i think for mando and that little scene there so I'll, I'll give him points for that and i think yeah it's just a cool character He's also voiced by John Favreau, which is yeah. always pretty dope. So he's a, he's yeah. a Hizzler as well. There's an, a recognisable name in Star Wars canon as well. Yeah, um, yeah. He's definitely one of those characters where we come away from the episode literally knowing nothing about him, but thinking, "I want his action figure." Mm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I guess, I guess is in Star Wars is what makes a cool background character. <laughs> yeah, just like my guy from Episode One. You know nothing about him, but we want an action figure. We and we just want a tie-in comic or novel about them. <laughs> Mine is you were talking about niche. Mine is <laughs> questionably the most niche decision I've had so far. Um, I he, this, this character has no name. When I tried to Google this character, I found nothing about them to the point that I don't even know if people noticed that this character was even in this episode. So I tried to type in as many descriptive words to see if I could get some sort of canon name for this character or even a species. Um, there might be a species that I'm unaware of. I don't know. But this character, uh, at the beginning of the episode, when Mando's walking through the market, he appears, the time code, if anyone wants to check it out, is around about four minutes on the dot. In this episode, Mando's walking along. There's lots of people looking at him in the market. And this little astronaut fella walks past him and he's literally just wearing an astronaut suit, (laughs) which firstly is hilarious because it's Star Wars. Whatever alien species is, um, it's a smaller species, a bit taller than Jawa, but, you know, shorter than the, the average human. And he has like a really funny bounce to his step. Like he almost looks like an Oompa Loompa sort of skipping through the chocolate factory. He's just got like a bit of a bounce to his step. He sort of just walks past Mando. And I saw him and I thought, I want to know about that guy or girl. Um, I want to know what their story is. I want to know what their species is. I want to know why they're wearing the astronaut suit. Are they wearing the astronaut suit because they can't breathe on this planet? Are they someone like Plo Koon where they need a mask? to breathe on the planet or do they just think it's a funky look to have or are they actually a species something like Orbelin from the High Republic where it's all just jelly in there and you know that's just a suit to contain it I need answers to these questions I need the Funko Pop I need the tie-in novel to tell me exactly what this 
this person or alien's name is. I want information. I want them to appear in a future episode and I would like answers. <laughs> Astronaut suit guy is my favourite background character. <laughs> I mean, that is very niche. I'll give you that. But I think the questions you've raised, I think, are actually quite um, quite good ones. The um, I'd love for him to be like the guy from the Hard Public where he's just like jelly inside. Or, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I need to go back and actually look at because yeah. I think I did genuinely just miss that character as well. Yeah. Four um, minutes, then you'll just cool. notice the, the weird skipping his step. <laughs> skipping their step that they have. And you're like, what's going on? in that person's head are they having a really good day are they a bounty hunter because this is a planet of you know scum and villainy are they just a little bounty hunter who's just secured a big bag and they're quite happy and they're just going to head off to the toilet healing baths you know what's going on in this this fella's mind we need to know dave filoni if you're listening i want answers yeah we need we need a book on this fella <laughs> we do we do and i also have just sort of have to give a quick shout out to the you know, my favourite background character from episode one, which was the quacking monkey lizard who was watching his friend getting cooked. I think this episode now confirms that he himself has been cooked because in this episode, there's another quacking monkey lizard being cooked on a spit. And my head canon is that was the, the guy from the first episode who was watching his friend getting cooked. Now, a day later, is the one getting cooked. So if that is truly the case, rest in peace to a member of the background character Hall of Fame. R.I.P. A fallen soldier. <laughs> a true soldier. <laughs> Gone but not forgotten. <laughs> oh, I do like doing these background character things. I've, I've gotten to the point now where I just watched the entire episode just like looking for like some background character who's going to take all my attention. <laughs> yeah, it is fun to do that, actually. They're quite, they're quite fun to look for. Right, should we, should we round up the episode with Easter eggs? Yeah, some good ones. I've got some good ones here, I think. So as per usual, I'll read out the Easter eggs and you give it a, a, a nice rating out of five. Uh, how many stars? Cool. All right, are you ready? Mm-hmm. So the can the container, which is called a Camtono, that the client keeps the best car in for Mando, is uh, has got quite an extensive history. Um in Empire Strikes Back, there's a background extra who runs across the screen carrying like an old school ice cream maker. He became very cult favorite with the fans he was called will row hood and a lot of like star wars celebrations people dressed up as will row hood because he was a very very popular fan favorite character and in this episode that same ice cream maker is now being used to carry the best car that they give to mando i'm gonna give you a five for that because yeah. it didn't uh, i didn't actually register until you said earlier about that being on you strapless and I was like ah oh, I know exactly where that's going <laughs> yeah yeah they talk about it quite extensively in the behind the scenes documentary um, yeah but yeah it's brilliant um the as you were talking about Paz Vizsla the bulky looking Mandalorian which talks to him um we assume is is a relation of pre Vizsla um a big character in the Clone Wars uh, and the infamous leader of Death Watch who was also voiced by John Favreau uh, four. When Mando and Paz fight, they pull out vibro blades, vibro blades on each other. These weapons are called vibro blades because they vibrate. They they were first seen in Attack of the Clones, and Jango Fett had one. Uh, five. 
In the flashback to Mando's past, we see the BT B2 battle droids killing people on what we only assume is his home planet. The uh, best assumptions is these are separatist droids during the Clone Wars. Uh, two. Grief mentions Twi'lek healing baths. Um, I've got no idea where they are or what they are, but Twi'leks are the aliens from the planet Ryloth who have popped up all over the place, famous ones being Harris and Dula. Uh, three. The bounty puck that Grief gives um, Mando is a Mon Calamari target. Mm, three. Uh, Grief mentions the New Republic. Um, the New Republic was formed out of the rebellion after they won the Battle of Endor and the first Chancellor was Mon Mothma. Uh, four. When Mando goes to rescue the baby, he shoots an interrogator, an interrogator droid out of the air that looks very similar in design to the one Darth Vader uses on Leia in A New Hope. Uh, four. They do have a very long name, and I can't remember what the name was. Um, that's poor research from me. One of the bounty hunters in the shootout on Navarro is a Zabrak, which is the same species as Darth Maul from the planet Daphomir. Uh, three. When the Mandalorians attack the bounty hunters, they all have jetpacks on. It's a classic tool of the Mandalorians that have been worn by the likes of Boba and Jango Fett. Uh, three. There we go. Those are the Easter eggs I got. Nice. Some decent ones in there, to be fair. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite a good quite a good little Easter egg episode. There's there's one one of the episodes coming up is a phenomenal episode for Easter egg, Easter eggs. I'm looking forward to getting to that one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that wraps up our discussion of episode three of the Mandalorian, um, chapter three, the sin. I think you can probably come to the conclusion from everything we've been discussing that we uh, that we're both big fans of this episode. <laughs> Oh yeah, of course. I mean, the Mandalorian hasn't missed an hasn't missed yet. All the seasons yeah. slap. All the episodes slap. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been fun rewatching these episodes and discussing them on the podcast, and it's been fun, you know, finding some of the more obscure um, Easter eggs, characters, that sort of thing in these episodes. If you're enjoying this, let us know, and we'll we'll keep doing it sort of throughout our podcasting. Um, endeavors. I think you know we're not we're not trying to do one every week. We're trying to break it up a little bit. So when we come back next time to do episode four, um, it might be a week or two away. But be on the lookout. It'll be here soon. Yeah, I mean it's, it's quite nice watching rewatching them again and actually having the time to look out for like, the smaller details and stuff that you usually miss on like the first watch. So oh, I'm having a good time. Yeah. Um, and then the only thing left for this episode is to let you know about our next book club. Um, last episode, we discussed Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray, which was a really, really good, fun episode. Um, I hope people either have listened to it and enjoyed it or plan to listen to it. It was it was a good episode and um, it was a really fun book to discuss. We, to decide what book we're going to read next. We put a poll out on our Instagram. We put four books up on the poll and then sort of had two semifinals and then a final. It was a tightly fought battle between Aftermath and Thrawn, but the winner of the competition was Thrawn um, by Timothy Zahn, the first canon Thrawn book um, that came out, I think it was around about 2015, if I'm right, 2015, 2016. Um so that is going to be our next book club book. Are you excited to dive into this one, John? Yeah, I'm actually. I've been meaning for an excuse to dive into Thorn books. I think this is a 
this is as good a chance as any and i'm looking mm. forward to it yeah i this is a book that i've read before but it's over a year since i've read it now um it was it was the fourth star wars book i ever read um and i loved it the first time i read it so i'm very excited to read it again and um i actually read it on my kindle the first time so now i'm going to order myself a physical copy which will go proudly on the shelf so it's a good excuse to uh, to get that physical copy ordered and uh, to give it a read again so i'm excited about this one and it'll be fun to dive into it on the podcast in about a month's time yeah i mean it'd be nice to one just read it and then yeah have a good discussion about it they're always uh they're always very interesting and it's always nice to to a deep dive into these books and, and yeah. find out more about them. Yeah. And what's, what's the plan on this one, John? Are you going to read all of it the night before or are we going <laughs> to space this one out? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm going to try and try and space it out and like, read it for a good amount of time. So I'm not cramming the night before. I mean, it's never an issue with these Star Wars books because they are, they're always good. So I don't mind sitting there for six hours after work to uh, read them in one night but I, think, I have uh, a feeling this is quite a chunky book this one so you might want to give yourself a bit of time <laughs> yeah i mean i'll try and make time in the evenings to give it a read for bed or something so hopefully <laughs> but yeah so we'll probably have that episode out in about a month's time just it gives us time to read it and get other episodes out that we're interested in talking about so um stay tuned for that um and we will be back next week to talk about more star wars what we're going to talk about be a surprise because we don't know yet <laughs> no not sure obviously, yet, but... but obviously we have a date for book of boba fett now 29th of december so you can expect a couple of days after that the weekend after that you can expect us to start our weekly book of boba fett discussions which i must say i'm bloody excited about yeah, me too. That should be good. Something to look forward to in the in the coming months and then this year. In the Star Wars calendar. Yes. Right. Very exciting. So yeah. So if you want to stay up to date with our podcast, make sure you follow it, subscribe to it on any platform, podcasting platform that you use. As you, as we said, we upload new episodes every weekend. We're also on YouTube, Life from Vader's Castle is the channel. So subscribe over there. Um Follow us on Twitter at Vader's Castle Pod, TikTok at Live from Vader's Castle, and Instagram at Live from Vader's Castle as well. Instagram's where we're most active, and we we sort of interact with people a lot more over there. So give us a follow on Instagram if you like what we do. Um, and that's everything from me, John. You can close us out. Yeah, well, thank you very much for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Yeah. See you next week.